but yes. Hey, how about Tori? Isn't she great? Yeah. Going to Ireland and stuff. We're glad that she came back, though. Um, I am not going to lie, you guys. When we were singing those last couple of worship songs, I, like, become Aretha in my mind. Um, I'm not even kidding. Now, no one around me <laughs> was hearing Aretha, but in my mind, man, I was going all out. I so am Aretha. So let's give it up for our amazing worship team. Mm. Love it, love it, love it. So good. It is so good to be here with you guys this morning. Like Tori said, my name is Shauna, and I have been around this family for several years. Um, we took a little bit of a break <laughs> for a couple of years, but we came back, and this summer marks our fourth year back home here in Minnesota where we are here to stay. Love it. Loving being a part of this body, being a part of this family. This summer, I got a new job, you guys. I'm super excited about that. I'm working at this place called Woodland Hills. You may have heard about it. I love it. And my job, I am the young adult and welcome associate pastor. I always have to think about that. Um, what that means is I get to work with these amazing 18 to 24-year-olds, and they are so great. So that's amazing and awesome. And I get to work with the incredible welcome team out here on Sundays. So I've got it pretty good, and I'm pretty thrilled about that. So I'm feeling super thankful. When I'm not here with this family that I love and adore so much, I am with my, my personal family that I love and adore so much. I'm married to Scott and he is a saint, he is an angel, and if you know me, you know what a hot mess I can be, what a handful I can be, and that is why I say the man is a saint and an angel. Um, and we have four amazing kids, and one cute little dog, and we just have fun in our life together. I'm going to, right off the bat, I'm gonna give you guys a little tip, and it's pretty much gonna change your life. Be ready to have your world rocked. First of all, I have to apologize because we have been in this series throughout the summer, our summer sermon series, say that fast five times, our summer sermon series, and it's called Moving Pictures. And we have been looking at different films and applying that to our lives. And I absolutely love how creative God is, how God can use absolutely anything and everything to speak to his people when he wants to get a message across. And I love that we're a part of a church body that welcomes that. And so we've had the, the fun pleasure of uh, several weeks now looking at different movie clips and seeing how they pertain to us. But we've missed the boat in one area, and this is why I'm apologizing to you now. But, now I'm, but then I'm going to give you a little bit of info that's really going to change your life and rock your world. We haven't been giving you guys any popcorn. I mean, come on, you come to the movies, you want a little bit of popcorn, some buttery goodness. Thank you. <laughs> Can't just be me. Now, the next time you are gonna sit down, watch a movie, watch TV, watch a commercial, watch your phone, I don't care, pop you some popcorn, and then what you need to do next is grab a package of M&Ms. Now, I prefer peanut M&Ms, if you're allergic to peanuts, that's not a good thing, so don't get those, just get the plain ones. Open up that package of M&Ms and pour it into your bucket of popcorn. Shake your bucket of popcorn up and just go to town. I am telling you, what will happen in your mouth will be magical. <laughs> it is life-changing. Trust me, go home, do that. Get the butter, get the salt, get the sweet, mix it all together and chow down. You will thank me later. 
I'm not even going to lie. So we're going to keep on going with our summer series, okay? And today our movie is Star Wars The Force Awakens. Yeah. There are a lot of Star Wars movies, you guys. And for those of you who don't know, there are people who are like super serious and know all the ins and outs and facts about Star Wars. We can't get into all of that. We're just going to hit some highlights. But in our house, we have some pretty serious Star Wars fans. Take a peek. Some pretty serious Star Wars fans. <laughs> our neighborhood is safe, you guys. <laughs> Do not fear. The boring kids are on it. So we're going to talk about Star Wars The Force Awakens. I'm really excited. And you may wonder to yourself, what does a sci-fi movie and an Old Testament figure that we're going to look at and a New Testament church, new body of believers that we're going to look at, what is all of that partnered with our worship set? What is that going to do for us today? How is God going to speak to us today? But I really believe, as I was listening again to the songs that we were singing and just the, the presence of God that was ushered in as we were worshiping him, as, as we were singing and just singing those declarations and those messages and those songs of freedom and redemption, and then I think of what we're going to be watching with the movie clips, and I think of the, the scriptures that we're going to look like, I really believe that God is going to speak to each and every single one of our hearts, and it's going to be something something that you need to hear. And it may be something different than your neighbor needs to hear, but God is so good that he can touch each of us right where we are using a variety of mediums. He's that good to us. So let's pray and then we'll get right into it. Lord, I thank you that you do take us from glory to glory to glory. And when we say yes to you, when we allow your love to just envelop us, God, we are forever changed. Nothing, nothing can change the fact that we are yours and you are ours. And right now, God, I thank you for the words that you want to share with your children today, God, for, for what you want to communicate to your sons and your daughters. Lord, reveal your heart to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Star Wars The Force Awakens. If you've ever seen a Star Wars movie, they always start out with a little, what they call a crawl. And it, what it is, it's a little narrative of where this particular movie film picks up. So Star Wars The Force Awakens is episode seven. And this is where we find ourselves. The Force Awakens picks up when Luke Skywalker has vanished. It's not good, you guys. Luke Skywalker is gone. And in his absence, the sinister First Order has risen from the ashes of the Empire and will not rest until Skywalker, the last Jedi, has been destroyed. With the support of the Republic, General Leia leads a brave resistance. She is desperate to find her brother Luke and gain his help in restoring peace and justice to the galaxy. Leia has sent her most daring pilot on a secret mission to Jakku, where, where an old ally has discovered a clue to Luke's whereabouts. And so in this film, there's so much that we can focus on, but our primary focus is going to be on these two characters that we're introduced to. These two characters are unlikely heroes that have been brought together by fate. These unlikely heroes that we're going to meet partner with the Resistance, those are the good guys, and they set out on a mission to find Luke Skywalker, defeat this new reign of evil, 
and save the galaxy. No biggie. Just go find Luke Skywalker. He's been missing for years. Reign in and defeat this new form of evil and save the entire galaxy. These are unlikely heroes. They are apparently, on the surface, not very important. Now, our first unlikely hero is actually a stormtrooper. So for those of you who don't know, the stormtroopers are bad. They are not good. <laughs> they are a part, they're like an army, they're soldiers, they're, you know, in full-on body costumes and masks, and they are not good at all. So our first person that we're going to look at is a stormtrooper that we come to know as FN2187. FN2187. That's his number. That's who he is. And so what is happening um, here is, remember, General Leia sent to her pilot on a secret mission, and the First Order has found out about it. Remember, the First Order, they're bad. They're evil. They've, they have found out about it, and they're on the attack, going after this pilot. And when they get to, to the land where they're going, you see, you begin to see FN2187's moral dilemma. He has this internal moral dilemma about what he's supposed to be doing as a stormtrooper. In fact, the leader of this particular army says, kill all the villagers. And you see that FN2187 doesn't raise his gun and doesn't shoot. He's having this really huge moral dilemma with the whole thing. And so he decides to defect. He decides to run away to leave the First Order. And so he runs. And when he runs and when he defects, he takes with him, he helps to release a pri the prisoner that they captured, which was this pilot. And they leave together. And so as they're talking, the pilot says, hey, man, what's your name? Thanks so much for helping me escape. And he's like, I don't have a name. I'm, I, my number, I'm FN2187. And the pilot's like, I'm not calling you that. FN, okay, your name is Finn. So finally, the stormtrooper has his very own name. Now Finn, the stormtrooper, escapes, and he's running away, and the First Order is hot on his tail. And as he's running on this adventure, he comes across our second character, our second unlikely hero. And for the next while, Finn is really ashamed about who he was, the fact that he was a stormtrooper, and the fact that he was fighting with the wrong team. He was fighting for the evil people. And so he's embarrassed about that. So he doesn't tell anyone that he comes across that he was actually a stormtrooper. In fact, he lies and says he's actually a part of the resistance, the good guys. And so what we are about to see is a clip where Finn actually comes clean, and he finally confesses who he really is. You see, he's running as fast as he can from the First Order, and at this point, all he cares about is getting away because he is not interested in being a stormtrooper any longer. He has no interest initially in being a grand part of this mission, this hero mission. He just wants to get away from the First Order. So let's look at what happens when Finn finally comes clean. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. I agree. So there are some people who won't be able to see the clip if they're listening to this um, on podcast. And so what just happened was is we discover who Finn truly is. And he says, like all stormtroopers, I was taken from my family at a very young age. 
He doesn't even know them, and he was raised and conditioned by the first order to do one thing, and that was to be bad and to kill others in their name. But he made a choice, and he decided to run. And when he encountered Ray, he felt seen for the very first time in his life, seen for who he is and not a role that he was playing. That character right there, her name is Ray, and she's our second unlikely hero. She's a young female scavenger, and what that meant was is she would scavenge different metal parts and take them uh, and trade them in for portions of food. What we learn about Ray in the movie is that she doesn't appear to have a family, so she's all alone, but she's fiercely independent. She's fierce. She seems to be able to take care of herself very well. Um, she is tough. She's resourceful. She can hold her own. You'll find out that Ray is extremely loyal, but she doesn't think much of herself. In fact, in the film, she keeps referring to herself as just a scavenger. She'll say, I'm just a scavenger. She doesn't think she's anybody special or anybody important. But just like we discovered with Finn, what you see is not always what you get. There is more beyond the surface. Ray becomes an integral part of the battle between good and evil. Ray has some information that the bad guys want. And so we learn that she is extremely vital to this new mission. And because she's vital to this mission and because she has information that the bad guys want, she in turn is cap captured by the stormtroopers and the evil Kylo Ren. All you need to know if you don't know is that Kylo Ren is not a good guy. He's a bad guy. And that's who we're going to see in this clip. Kylo Ren has captured Rey, and he wants her because he's trying to get information from her. And let's see what happens next. All right, all right, all right. So what we've just seen here is Kylo Ren is trying to read Ray's thoughts to get the information that he wants. It's called a Jedi mind trick. <laughs> Truly it is. But here's the thing. Ray, this nobody scavenger, seems to have something more going on within her. And we see that, in fact, she's able to turn the tables on Kylo Ren, and she's able to read his thoughts. See, he was trying to intimidate her and assert power over her by making her feel vulnerable and bringing up all of her insecurities and all her vulnerabilities and trying to throw those in her face. But the tables turn and we see that Ray actually has some form of the force within her and she's able to read his mail and she's able to call out his fears and his weaknesses. And we find out there is much more beyond the surface than we initially thought with Ray. Now, the movie goes on, and as much as I wish we could watch it all, we can't, but the movie does go on, and all you need to know is, and I don't want to give too much away, but the good guys win, okay? <laughs> the good guys are victorious, and they are able to defeat the First Order, and they get a good lead on Luke Skywalker. And so our final clip... Um, is a really fun little ending to our time with this movie. But what we're going to see is, is that in the course of a battle, Finn was injured. And so Ray has to leave him while he's, being, while he's on the mend, while he's healing. And she leaves him, and she sets off to find Luke, and she gets this really cool blessing from General Leia. So take a peek at this.
I love it. May the force be with you. Now, you guys, these two, Ray and Finn, they weren't especially special when we meet them. Um, on the surface, they were a couple of nobodies. They didn't have a family. They didn't have a people that they belonged to. They didn't have a place of belonging. Um, you've got a conditioned from birth stormtrooper fighting for the bad guys who didn't even have a name. Nothing about him stood out. And you've got this girl who's been deserted by her family left to just figure it out all on her own. But we know when we find out that there was so much more to them beyond the surface, that they found their place of belonging and they found their people. And we find out how very crucial they were to the mission at hand. They were used for an incredibly important purpose. They were no longer invisible, but they were seen for the first time in their lives. And I know that as we watch things like this, each of us relate to different things. And um, I related um, in a very personal way to these two characters. Um, I've shared with you guys a little before about parts of my story. But when I was young, my early childhood, I was raised by a single mother. And let me just say, if you are a single parent, man, it is no joke. Bless you because it is difficult and it is tough. It is really no joke. However, not everyone is equipped to be a single parent, and, and my mother was not that. She was not in a healthy enough place to be raising a child, and as a result, I was left alone much of the time and left to figure out how to take care of myself at a very young age. As a result, I'm a fantastic swimmer because we lived in apartments and we moved around a lot and there was always a pool. So during the summer, that was kind of my babysitter. I would just go out to the pool. And so I was left on my own a lot and figured a lot of things out by myself. But because of the unhealthy, dysfunctional lifestyle I was being raised in, I had to learn very young how to fend for myself and I had to learn certain survival skills. I learned the necessity of having to protect myself from harmful situations, how to recognize those situations and try to protect myself and find a way out. I also had to learn how to recognize harmful people, people who meant to do me harm and try to protect myself from them. I didn't have a sense of belonging. I was kind of orphaned. I was kind of on my own for all intents and purposes. But in that, I am convinced and I know that I know that I know that God saw me. I know that he was aware of me. Maybe I was invisible to the rest of the world. There were times that I wanted to be invisible to the rest of the world, but God saw Shauna, and he had something for Shauna different than my current reality. Maybe you out there relate more to Finn, Maybe um, you relate to, to his story. I mean, there is the obvious sadness that this man didn't even have his own name. He was just a number. He was just a machine. He was conditioned with the purpose that he didn't choose. I know someone can relate to that. You're dealing with a purpose or stuff in your life that you did not choose. His life was lived behind a mask. He wasn't seen as an individual person. His life was about performing and doing a job and performing a duty. It wasn't about living a free life. He had preset expectations that he was supposed to follow, and he wasn't allowed to have his own opinion. But just as we find that Ray was truly seen as more than she ever believed that she was in and of herself, 
And just as we find that, that Finn was truly seen as more than he was, I believe that God is saying to us that he too sees beyond the surface. He sees you where you are, and he identifies you, and God gives you your place of belonging. He is aware of you and your situation and your life, and he's calling you to a place of belonging. I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret that I'm sure you figured out by now, but God has a way of doing this. He has a way, he has a pattern of taking nobodies, of taking average people, of taking broken people, and making beautiful, redemptive things happen in their lives. He is in the business of making beautiful things out of nothing, out of dust, out of nothingness, out of brokenness. God takes those things and he redeems them and makes them beautiful. We're going to look at a story in the Bible from the Old Testament. I love God's story and I love how God tells a story of his people and how we can learn from the story of his people. But this is a story about a young woman by the name of Ruth. Now, at the time of this story, there was a severe famine in the land of Bethlehem. And so this story starts with a particular family who's living in Bethlehem during the time of this famine, and they decide they've got to get out. They need to escape Bethlehem, and they decide to go to another country, Moab. Now, going to Moab isn't like going to Wisconsin. It's much worse. (laughs) (laughs) We love Wisconsin. It's amazing. (laughs) Just kidding. Going to Moab, it was an act of utter desperation, you guys. It was shameful. It represented sin and deception. The country of Moab did not honor God and did not serve God. So when this family left Bethlehem to go to Moab, this was a shameful, shameful thing. This family consisted of a man and his wife, her name is Naomi, and their two sons. And as they are living their life in Moab, the husband dies. So now Naomi is left with her two sons. And her two sons decide to marry women from the area. So he marries Moabite women, and their names are Orpah and Ruth. Now, years pass, time goes on, and the two sons die. So now Naomi is in this shameful land with two Moabite daughters-in-law, and she happens to hear that things have turned around back home and that the famine is gone and there's actually a harvest happening back in Bethlehem. So she decides to do the only thing she knows to do, and that's to return. Now, on her journey, we see that the two daughters-in-law decide to go with her. And along the way, she stops and she says, Look, I appreciate that you're wanting to go with me, but I've got nothing to offer you. I am going home empty-handed, and I have nothing to give you and nothing to benefit you. So I suggest you go back to your home, go back to your people, go back to your land. And so one of the daughters-in-law do, Orpah goes back, but Ruth will not be persuaded. Ruth clings to Naomi. And Ruth makes this amazingly beautiful declaration of her intent toward Naomi. So we pick this up in verse 15. It says, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. 
May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates you and me. This is so beautiful. It's a great, grand gesture of, of commitment and friendship. And may we all find those people in our life that will come alongside us and stick with us and, and not leave us um, through thick and thin. But it's even more so than that. You see, to understand what Ruth was truly saying, we have to understand what she was giving up. Paul Eddy is one of our teaching pastors here at Woodland, and he does this beautiful teaching about the culture of the time and the people of the time and what it meant for them um, to have identity, who they were. And um, people's identity during this time, Ruth's identity at this time, came from the land in which she was raised, the people in which she belonged to, and the God in which she served. That's who made her who she was. She, there is no identity of yourself. You were a part of a land, you were a part of a people, and you served a certain God. And so what Ruth is saying is, I'm going to leave my people, I'm going to leave my land, and I'm going to leave my God, and I'm going to join you. It's a beautiful declaration. She left her land, she left her people, she left her God, and she made a covenant commitment to Naomi and to Naomi's God. She gave up her entire identity, her entire sense of self, and the thing about it is she had no guarantee that this was going to work out for her. She had no guarantee that this was going to be a good choice on her part, but she went. So we continue Ruth's story as she and Naomi travel back to Bethlehem, and as they do, we discover the odds are against both of these women, but especially Ruth. First of all, Ruth is a woman. And at that time, that didn't bode well for her. Not only is Ruth a woman, but she's not Jewish. So she's a woman, but she's not even Jewish. Not only is Ruth not Jewish, but she's a Moabite. That means that she's from a descendant of women who were deceitful and manipulative. Not only is she seen as a deceitful, manipulative Moabite, but she's also a widow. Not only... <laughs> just keeps coming. Not only is she non-Jewish, deceitful, manipulative, or that's the perception of her. She's a woman. She's a widow. She's attached to another widow, Naomi, who, when times got tough, ran away to the land of shame and has returned with nothing. There is no good reason on the surface why we should know anything about Ruth at all. Why is she even a part of God's story? Because he sees beyond the surface. He sees what we cannot always see. We learn as we read on in this beautiful story that Ruth decides to go gleaning in the fields to try to get leftover grain so that she and Naomi could eat. And so she's out in the fields and she happens to be working in the field of a man by the name of Boaz. And we learn that Boaz was somehow related to Naomi's deceased husband, Boaz was a landowner. Boaz was a person of importance. Boaz knew some people. He had stature. He was known within the community. Um, and Boaz sees Ruth. Ruth, the nobody. Ruth, in her foreignness, in her despised state. Ruth, in her utter insignificance, in her disgraced lineage, in her having nothing, and in her being nothing, in all of that surface messiness that was seen to disqualify her from anything and everything, Ruth was seen. 
there was more going on there. And then we discover that Ruth and Boaz, they get married, and that brings redemption to Ruth and to Naomi. And beyond the surface, we discover that Ruth wasn't all those things that maybe were originally perceived about her. Ruth was so much more than that. She was brave, and she was loyal, and she was faithful, and she gave up who she was and took on a new identity, and she had a new calling. And that, that disgraceful lineage that she came from, she created a new lineage because of her obedience. She became a somebody from being a no, Moabite nobody. She is one of five women, you guys, that is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. When you read in Matthew 1, Ruth is a part of that genealogy. You see, Ruth married Boaz, and they had a son by the name of Obed. And then Obed had a son by the name of Jesse. And then Jesse had a son by the name of David, who became king, King David. We read about him all the time. And then down the line it goes, and who comes next? Jesus Christ, the Messiah. God used a Moabite nobody. Yes. He saw her and called her, and she was used for great, incredible purposes and brought us our Jesus, our Messiah, our king. How many of us can relate to Ruth in some way? Oh my goodness, you guys, maybe you see yourself as a nobody. Maybe you don't think you have anything to offer. Maybe all that people see when they look at you is what is on the surface. I don't know, maybe all the people see when they look at you is guilt and shame of things that have gone wrong in your life. Maybe you feel that people see you and they look at you and they just see different. You're different, you're not like everybody else. That's a-okay, man. That's good stuff right there. Maybe you feel that um, because your skin looks different or you talk different or, you, or you're just not quite the same, maybe you feel that you're not accepted or people don't see you for who you really are. Maybe you have physical scars that you're embarrassed about. Maybe you have internal scars that are deep and raw and real and you're ashamed of those. I can relate Man, when I read the story of Ruth, I can so relate to her. I know what it feels like to not be accepted. I know what it feels like to not be accepted, not because someone chose to know me, but just because they looked at me and saw that I was a different ethnicity than them and decided that I wasn't worth knowing. I know what it feels like to, be, to meet people, and, they, and their first thing out of their mouth is, well, what are you? Not who are you, nice to meet you, what's your name, but what are you? Come on now. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to come from nothing and to have nothing and to be ashamed of where you come from because you know it's nothing in comparison to other people. I told you we moved around a lot when I was young, and so I was always meeting new people, and I can make friends pretty easily, but I never wanted to talk about my family. Goodness, no, that was embarrassing. What, what I came from was embarrassing. It didn't compare to what other people had. But I also know you guys, I know what it's like when redemption comes. I know how it feels when God uses his people to show his love and his acceptance to someone who so desperately wanted it and needed it. I know what it's like to truly be seen for the very first time. God does that for each of us. He goes beyond the surface and he sees you. You're not invisible. You're not invisible. God sees you right where you are. Right where you are. We have one more group of people that I want to look at very quickly, and this is a church in the New Testament. 
And I know that God wants to, to continue to speak to us about this. This church in the New Testament was in the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth was a Roman colony, and this church was built up of a bunch of, let's just say, blue-collar people. There, there were some people of influence, but for the most part, these were blue-collar people. And they, they were very communal, the churches then, and they were like a family. Like most families, issues come up and stuff arises. And so what we're going to see right now is Paul, who had founded this church, the Apostle Paul, wrote his family a letter just to kind of help straighten some things out. Some things have been going on, and so he wanted to help straighten some things out. And so we're going to read about these people in Corinth. Now, on the surface, these really were a bunch of misfits. They were a bunch of nobodies. They weren't necessarily the beautiful people. They were from the lower class of society. They came from humble origins. They didn't necessarily possess a ton of wealth or status, and they weren't especially educated. But God saw them, and God called them, and now we get to read about them and we get to be blessed through what God said to them and apply it to our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. See, throughout this passage, we see yet again God's heart for his people, we see God's heart for his children, for his sons, and for his daughters. We see that God saw them not as the world perceived them, but for who they were. He saw beyond that. He saw beyond the surface and knew that there was more, that they were vitally important to his mission. He was aware of who they are, and he was aware of where they are, and he did not define them by their society, but by what society says. He didn't define them by certain labels because he saw beyond those things, and he has a perspective that is vastly different than ours. He has a perspective that's vastly different than the world's. His perspective is so much clearer and it's better. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise. Not many were influential. Not many were noble. You weren't, you weren't anybody necessarily, but God chose you. The foolish things of their world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of their world. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. God chose them. And I believe today God is saying to us, he chooses us. He chooses you. Whether you're in this room or you're listening later on, God chooses you. He chose them. He gave them a new identity in Christ. He called them. And that's what he does for us. Can you hear God speaking to us through this passage? He nullified. He caused certain things to be null and void. What needs to be made null and void in your life? What is it that is hindering you from seeing what's beyond the surface? What is it that is keeping you from being a part, an active part of the mission that God has for you. Maybe you don't have a family. Maybe the family you do have is dysfunctional. Maybe you are single and you think that's a hindrance. 
Maybe you're married and you think that's a hindrance. Maybe you're divorced and you think that's a hindrance. It doesn't matter. Maybe you're not very educated, or maybe you're just trying to get through the day-to-day punching in and out at a job. Maybe you're just average. Maybe you're just normal. I have to tell you, the thing about it is, is that you have something. Each and every single one of you has something that God sees beyond all of that. All of that. Single, married, divorced, woman, man, rich, poor, educated, uneducated. God sees beyond all of that. He sees below the surface. And you each have a calling to be loved by him. And when he loves you, it is perfect. It is restorative. It is pure. It is freeing. And he allows you to see yourself as you've never seen yourself before. He desires for you to be loved and then to go out and love others. But your calling, your freedom, your moment to be the unlikely hero that God sees when he looks at you, when he looks in your heart, sometimes it's hindered. Just like Kylo Ren was a hindrance to Ray and Finn, just like being from Moab was a hindrance to Ruth, just like the Corinthians were a hindrance to one another, sometimes you and I have hindrances, things that are keeping us from our ultimate freedom, from keep, that are keeping us from living out the mission that God has for us, to be loved and to love others. Sometimes what holds us back is other people. Sometimes what holds us back is our perception of ourselves. Sometimes circumstances in life seem to be working against us. Many times, it's things we didn't even choose that seem to hinder us. There is a spiritual warfare element to our lives, you guys, and it is real, and it is happening every single day. But that's okay. The deal is, is God isn't afraid of any of that. God isn't shocked by it. He doesn't, he's not running for the corner trying to figure out what to do. He's aware, and he's able, and he's ready to shine his light of love on you, to set you free so that you can go love on others and set them free. He's not bothered by it. He's not worried by it. He is working on your behalf to call those things out that he sees in you. He's calling those things out that he sees in you. It doesn't matter where you are right now because God sees beyond. He sees beyond. You're not invisible. You're not unimportant. You're not insignificant. You are a child of the king, and that makes you very relevant, extremely relevant. The most relevant that you will ever be in your life is when you're walking in that identity. Now, the prayer teams are going to come forward because, dear Lord, we have to go. The prayer teams are going to come forward. You guys, thank you so much for being here. But listen, I just want to encourage you, as the prayer teams come forward, if you have anything in your, on your heart, anything that you're carrying, come and let these people pray for you. Like, we are a church that believes in prayer. We are a church that believes in coming alongside one another and approaching the thorn, throne of God together. Let these people do that for you today. I just want to encourage you right now. God sees you. He sees your faithfulness. He sees your bravery. He sees your hurt, and he sees your doubts. He's identified you. You are his. You have been named, and no one can snatch you away from him. He calls you, and he wants you to walk in your freedom. He wants you to know that you belong, and he wants you to bring others alongside with you. Now, my favorite quote, and I'm seriously, seriously promised I'm ending with this. My favorite quote is this. The one thing that you have nobody else has is you. Your voice your mind, your story, your vision. So let God use that. 
Let him infiltrate that and write and draw and build and play and dance and live as only you can. Be free and let the force be with you guys. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Oh, God, you are so good. You are just so good. And for those who may be listening or in this room who don't believe it, who haven't experienced it, flood them now with your goodness. Flood them now with your love. Go, God, I thank you for your freedom. Your freedom in Jesus' name. We are free in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you, God. You take us from glory to glory, and we are never, ever the same. We are forever changed. Make it true. Make it real. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You guys are awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you.